Hello and welcome into another episode of the Wilding and Owens Show. Matt Wilding, Luke Owens, exclusively on Twitch. You can catch the podcast wherever you get your podcasts tomorrow morning, so Tuesday, on Spotify most notably and things of that nature. And I welcome in my good friend Luke Owens. And, and Luke, a real, it feels like every show's just been the same for the last couple weeks with slightly different twists. But almost the beauty in that, Luke, is we don't know where we're going to go in terms of the non-sports situations. You know, you've yelled at me about your wedding. You've yelled at me more about your wedding. You know, it would seem pretty obvious to start with the fact that we went on a little road trip last week, but I guess that wasn't even, it wasn't even a thought in your mind. I'm already, I'm already erased that memory. We did. We did go on a road trip. That's right. We went down to the great Long Island, the great state of Long Island, New York. Um, got you some bagels, some, some real pizza. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and maybe more importantly, celebrated my birthday with our best friends, Michael Kay, Don LaGreca, Peter Rosenberg. Yeah. You know, I, I offered to take a picture with them because it was my birthday. They were they were so pleased to meet me. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, that was a really cool trip, Luke. I, I appreciate you coming down, you know, making the the long drive with me, hanging out, enjoying some pizza and bagels. Now, now I'll ask you this, Luke. What did you like more, the Long Island pizza or the Long Island bagel? I got to say the pizza, I, I think the Long Island bagels is a little overrated. I, I know I'm going to have some people come at me, but I, I've had bagels up here that are fine. I mean, they were good, but I don't think there was anything to write home about. But the pizza definitely, I think, was was far and away better. But, I, you know, again, it's not it's not me coming at Long Island bagels. I'm just saying I, I enjoyed the pizza a little bit more. That that That's fair. And I, I think you're a, a toasting bagel kind of guy, I believe, right? You like yeah. You toast your bagel. Yeah. And I think once you toast the bagel, and I do it too, it loses the the Long Island specialness because you know after you know the first day when you get that bagel it's super fresh fluffy light. After day one it gets a little stale, not really stale, but you know more firm. So you got to toast it up, and that's when you kind of lose that that fluffy integrity of a good Long Island bagel. But a great trip nonetheless. Well, um, the one thing I will say though is I'm very anti New Jersey. Just, I, I I don't like the state. It should it should be removed. Now is that because you have. I mean, look, this is a shot at the people. This is a shot at the, the gas situation. It's just everything that goes on in New Jersey, I'm just not a fan of. Well, let's hear more because I know our good friend Aaron Valentino would, would not be too happy about, you know, you calling out his entire state. Well, the, the people is probably more a Jersey Shore, a Jersey Shore thing. You know, they're, they're just they're, – they're an interesting bunch of, uh, of people, especially an interesting group of, of men. But the, the gas situation is an atrocity. I mean, we had to – pull up we had to wait to even get someone to pump our gas because half the pumps weren't working they only had two attendants not really their fault but that's all they had going and then they don't even fill the whole tank we got like three quarters of a tank we had to stop again on the way home and it's like we could have done this ourselves we could have pumped gas ourselves and it it just it makes no sense to me yeah and, and for the people at home my car for some reason you don't get the full tank of gas on the first shot so they left it in and when it stops it it automatically stopped the gas pump but the issue there is that they only filled it up halfway, Luke. I had about half a tank or a quarter of a tank of gas remaining when, I, when we went in there. And, and Luke, you forgot to mention perhaps the most important part is that they forgot your burger. That's right. The, the great Wawa. Well, people call it great. I was excited for it. I didn't know what to get. Again, a burger and fries. Probably not a great order from Wawa. I'm sure some people would come at me. But the fries were great. Looked back in the bag. No burger to be found. So that, that was pretty rough. Yeah, and... That was that was rough. Like we did. You had a home. glorious sandwich. Though. Oh, it was Wawa. really nice. Oh, a little, yeah, not enough honey sand- mustard. I can't believe I didn't go sandwich. Not Terrible honey mustard. I'll, I'll say that it was nice chicken cutlet. I see. The issue is when I get a sandwich, Luke, and this this goes back to my days as a child. I would load the sandwich up with every possible topping imaginable. The opposite of you, if you will. A lot you know, of ointment, lettuce, tomato, pickles, banana peppers, spinach. Sometimes they had trouble at Subway closing my sandwich when I was a kid, and I'd see them do it, and I'd smile to myself because I got the greatest Subway possible. Because of that. No, I don't hate them because of that. I just think I can make a fine sandwich for not ten dollars. But Luke, I couldn't order my full, the full assortment of toppings because I had to eat and drive. And you know, did I have to do that? No, but we wanted to get home. It was pretty late, and I had to eat it on the road safely, of course. But couldn't get oh, my, yes, my lettuce or my tomato. Yeah, I should have went sandwich. I panicked. I don't like ordering food at a new place is really stressful because I'm a very like 
I'm a big – I like going to new places, but I'm a big fan of going somewhere I know and ordering what I know is going to be good. So going somewhere and not knowing what to order, I think it, it put me in a full panic mode. So I didn't even make sure that I had the right food. I just I just left, and, and that was on me. So part of it's on me, but uh, I think if we ever return – I want redemption on Wawa. I'm not, I'm not throwing it away because I know a lot of people love it. So I'm not going to – I'm not going to knock it until I give it another chance. And look, you know, we were knocking the Yankees months ago. And, and look at them now. Yeah. A nine-game win streak coming up against the Braves. A, a real good weekend for the Yankees in which they actually swept the Twins. Um, they did lose one of those four games due to, you know, the hurricane or what was supposed to be in, in preparation for the hurricane. So you still take three. You obviously have that one rained out, which – for the Yankees heading down the stretch, they now play something like 24 games in the month of September, which is kind of scary for a team that's trying to, you know, rest up and and maintain some sort of position heading into the playoffs. But currently right now, as we sit, Luke, the Yankees are, oh, nowhere to go. They are tied with the Braves after four. And that's a, a game that Mets fans are looking at because this is a team now seven, seven and a half games back of the Braves for that NL East title. And, they're facing this didn't even look. No, I know you put it in, but I didn't know matter. when you written that, wrote that. So I wanted to get the update. No, no, no. Date no I said Mets fans shouldn't even look at this game. Like it shouldn't even matter, to be honest. They just, really? If Mets fans think there's even a chance, then they're they're crazy. I mean, I, I understand that, Luke, but you also look at and you know they're struggling, but look at who they're playing in the next little while. They're not playing any of the, the great teams in this in baseball. Well, they play the this, Giants. After this series. Three. After they're this still series. dead. They lose to Miami. They lost three out of four to Miami two weeks ago. Like there's no, there's nothing left for the Mets. And I know they weren't on a rundown or anything like that. But they're done. They're dead. There's no. There's see, never been a deader team than the New York Mets this year. I I can't say that because we said the what same thing about the Yankees it? and they figured it out. This I never Mets lineup is dead. better. Okay, well I said they were dead. I said the Yankees were dead. I'll take. It. I said they were dead in the division, and I I still think that they're dead in the division with, for the Yankees. But for the Mets, there's no. There's no possible way the Mets even come within five games of the division. I'll say that right now. I, I think they're going to lose disagree. by at least five games. Well, they have nothing. They have literally nothing. They don't have any offense, and their pitching is going to die. I mean, they're on their last legs right now. There's nothing there. After they're, they're this Giants series, your next 14 games are against Washington and Miami. And, yes, you haven't beaten Miami this season, but something's got to give. You're getting Baez back. You're in the process of getting Lindor back. They're hoping to see DeGrom for at least one or two more starts, they said, even if the, the season's done. Look, do I think they're going to make the playoffs? Absolutely not. And, and I was writing them off too, Luke. But when you look at the way the, who Atlanta has to play in these next 10 games, if the Mets can take care of their business, I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but they can make it interesting. They certainly can just based on who Atlanta has to play. When they've been on this nine-game winning streak, Atlanta, they haven't beaten anybody good. They've beaten Miami and Baltimore. You know, if they yeah, but they've beaten up on them. The Mets don't do that. They don't beat up on bad teams. They haven't all year. Not yet. We'll just wait. There's no, I don't know. There's nothing can, there. And how I, you can say that they won't make two games on Atlanta in the next twelve games. That's what you're basically saying no. is they can't gain two games, three games when they're playing Washington, Miami, Washington, Miami. They've also got a series against Philly left, and then they end with three games against Miami and three against Atlanta. I'm not saying they'll make the plus, but they can make it interesting. They could hypothetically make it interesting. And for you to be so dismissive with a team that has a really solid starting rotation, even without DeGrom, it's not elite, but it's solid. It's something. It's better than what Miami can bring up. Miami is a much better pitching team. Okay, it's better than what Baltimore can do or, I don't know, what? Washington? Need to defend the Mets. There's, there's no reason. I just don't know why there's you're attacking no... them for no reason. You're saying they have no shot when it's they're playing no some of the worst tell. teams in baseball why, over the next why couple are we weeks. There's a chance. Why are we pretending there's a chance? We can do that all year. We can pretend. Oh, look at the schedule they have coming up. They haven't done it all year. They're not going to do it now. There's no chance. I don't. But, see but it for you to sit here and say Mets fans should be watching the, the series. If Atlanta drops these two games, you're you're what is it? If they drop these two games, you're six games back. If the Mets can just. Tread yeah, water the in these Giants. last three. Not beating the Giants. Not once. They're not doing it. No, they they had. Well, they beat them. They won what two games out of the the first eleven? Like it's not. There's nothing to. But, to but say even good about beyond this team those right. games, Luke, you got three against Washington, three against Miami, then another set against Washington. You're telling me you can't win most of those games. You can't go six and two in those six games, or 
Yeah, whatever it is. Even Braves tough stretch. They play the Rockies, the Nationals, the Marlins, and the Rockies. They're not the, the Braves are gonna be fine. They're, it's not even gonna be close. They're running away with it. They have the momentum. They're playing with confidence. Even if it's against bad teams in this nine-game win streak, the Mets haven't done that against bad teams. There's there's no reason to think that. And the Mets aren't even in second place right now. So they'd need the Phillies to even tank even harder as they go into an easy schedule themselves. Yeah, but the, so the I, Phillies I'm not buying stink. The Phillies are two games over 500. The Mets are two games uh, under. Like, there's no... it, it, it's the schedule that messed up the Mets. That, that's the problem here. Oh, my gosh. They're so bad. I just – I can't take it when – I can't take it when I see people being like, all right, we got to root for the Yankees. Now. I get it if you're fans. But are whatever, you, you going like, to go and say, well, it's over anyway. Let's go Braves. Stick it to the Yankees. No, no you're going to hope that you have a shot. Anything can happen. The Mets blew up, what, a, look- a seven-game lead in 17 days. Or in 17 games. Mets- like, anything can happen. They shouldn't even look at the Braves' schedule right now. They should only look at their own schedule and try to figure but it you out. You have this to hope the that the Braves lose games, and these are two games they can lose. Yeah, and so what if they lose two of them? The Mets are going to lose to the Giants, so they're not making up any ground. There's nothing there. They're so dead. I don't know why. I don't know how anyone could th- I possibly think they have even a fighting chance to make it interesting. It won't even be close. Whatever. Sure. Uh, Luke, back to the Yankees. We don't need to talk about Mets. We don't even have them on the rundown. They're they're dead. <laughs> Whatever. No, they're not. Dead. Well, I, I don't know why like, you have to sit here and say, oh, it doesn't well, matter what the Braves do. Let's see the Mets win right. because the Mets could win every single game they have remaining and still not make the playoffs. They could go 30-0 and in their, in their last 30 games and still miss the playoffs because the Braves have games in hand. So if you're a Mets fan and you're clinging on for your dear life, if you're watching these games, if you're invested in Mets games as a Mets fan, you should hope that Atlanta loses. Sure, but I don't think you should pay too much attention because it doesn't matter. It won't matter. All right. It won't. Then, then Mets fans shouldn't watch the rest of the season because it doesn't matter, right? Agreed. All right, then that, that's your Pack chance. It. Okay, let's move on. One of the most disappointing seasons in the last 10 years for the New York let's Mets. Move on, one then. of the most let's disappointing. Let's move on to a period. better season then. Or better period. Team. I'll be heard. I'm being heard tonight. I'm not, I'm not putting up with this, all right? No one can silence you, Luke. You guys stop setting me off. It was the Jets last week. Now it's the Mets. It's just not. It's just not going. Uh, Luke Voigt, Luke named AL Player of the Week. Hit almost 500 with two home runs. Was completely dominant. But now with being in the NL Bar Park tonight, the uh, Player of the Week, Luke Voigt, sitting over Anthony Rizzo. Uh, this is this is odd. You know, and obviously it's a, it's a it's the right call to make. But with Voigt saying, "I want to play," you know, I deserve to play as much as Rizzo. He certainly backed it up. But it's also just it's so it makes the job of of uh Aaron Boone so much more difficult when Luke Voigt's playing this well and when Luke Voigt comes out and says that because now he's gonna play Anthony Rizzo, the much better defender. But you look at Voigt, he's been heating up. It, it's really a tough decision to make. Yeah, it is, and I think it's a it's a good problem to have because I think in, in normal situations where your pitcher doesn't have to bat and you don't have to deal with such idiotic and outdated rules. You can play a lineup that is is the best in baseball when everyone's rolling. Because I mean, we saw it this weekend when they were able to DH Voit to play Rizzo at first to play Stanton in the outfield, and that's what they're doing. I mean, you know, say what you want about the Yankees and and everything in the beginning of the year, and it was definitely warranted with you know the the resting guys and not playing back to backs and things like that. I mean, Aaron Judge has played virtually every single game. I mean, he's played a lot in center field. John Carlos Stanton has played the outfield. Hitting significantly better. I think he's hitting 378 since uh, playing both the outfield and hitting, obviously, not just DHing. So he, he's clearly a little bit more engaged with the game, and, and that's not something you can prove with with uh, you know normal numbers, but you can see he's clearly a little bit more engaged. He had a home run tonight as well, playing solid defense. But as for the first base problem, I mean, I know this is a, a crazy, like, down-the-road thought, but that's a tough call if you're in the World Series. And I know it's miles away, but this is a team that if they get in can make a run. And and that's a, that's where the problem, I think, really comes into play. When you have to play in, in an NL ballpark in a game that really, really matters. Because if Luke Voigt's a hotter hitter, you want his bat, but Rizzo is a better defender and maybe does still have that potential. He's just trying to work his way back. And I think the Yankees have to keep giving Rizzo at bats because, I mean, he didn't really have – I'm very surprised the Yankees didn't give him – a rehab assignment. They just threw him back in the lineup because, you know, he, he went through it. I mean, he said it took him a few days before he could even walk again after getting COVID. Uh, he, he's not vaccinated, so it kind of hit him a little bit harder than, than the rest of the guys. So I was surprised they didn't give him that time. But 
I think for right now, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, and I think in that World Series, Luke, if if Voigt's hitting at three four seventy six like he is right now, and, and Rizzo, you know, isn't hitting up the snuff, I'd imagine you start Voigt, but when you get into a defensive situation, you move, you take him out for Rizzo, right? That would kind of make, to me at least, the most sense where you're trying to give yourself that offense, especially if Rizzo can't seem to hit the ball, while still giving yourself sort of an out defensively when you need it. Yeah, it kind of feels like the, to a lesser degree, but the Sanchez-Higashioka argument of last postseason, where it's like, yeah, well, it was kind of different because Higgy was hitting well and playing better defense, but Gary still had, I think, a higher offensive ceiling than Higgy, but Higgy's defense, I think, was the reason why he was starting a lot of those games. But in this case, I think it is a little different because I think these guys are both legit hitters. You know, Higashioka was just hot, but, I mean, Voight led the, led the league in home runs last year. He's a guy that can bring it with the bat, so... I, I agree, though. I think Boone's job is definitely getting harder because he has to maneuver all this. He He's now using the DH spot, you know, day to day. It's not just pencil and stand every single day. They have to figure out who's going to play the field, who's going to DH, who gets off days, who gets half off days. So it, it really has been a really good, I think, managerial last couple of weeks for Aaron Boone, making the right calls in the bullpen, knowing when to pull or let in the starters. I mean, a lot of people bashed him for leaving Andrew Heaney in the seventh against the Red Sox mowed them right down, go seven innings, save an inning of the bullpen. So he's made a lot of the right calls over the past few weeks. Yeah, and look, there's going to be a lot more calls for him and, and Brian Cashman to make in the upcoming days. It looks like Urshel will be back in a couple of days off the I.L. Glaber Torres, I think, is about a week or so away. And then you've got to, those guys, and you got to worry about where you're putting certain players, right? Because you've had a really nice piece in Andrew Velasquez playing some solid baseball, hitting above 300. But he's the guy you don't necessarily expect to do that, right? Let's be real, though, for Velasquez. He's 27 years old and hasn't been in MLB mainstay just yet. Could he be a nice piece off the bench? Sure. But with the Voight, with Voight clogging up a spot on that bench, with Higashioka clogging a spot up on that bench, there's a lot of moves to be made for this team once they fully get healthy. And you might have to send down a guy like Tyler Wade. You might have to send down a guy like Andrew Velasquez. And, and that's a really tough sort of spot to be in for this team because all of these young guys have been playing so well since they've been up, right? It's not like Wade's been struggling. He's hitting about 300 since he's become an everyday player, right? I don't think Odor is back yet, or he's just coming back now. No, he's been back the whole time, right? No, Odor has been playing. Right, okay. Yeah, he's been playing third. He's been playing third for, for Gio, who comes back. And then you, you say, okay, Odor goes to the bench. He's been a pretty hot hitter this back half of the season. So there's a lot of moving pieces for this team where you're almost hoping to some extent that Torres doesn't come back until after the, the rosters expand. Although it's only by two, you're hoping you can keep some of these guys up here and not have to worry about sending them down and, and things like that. Yeah. It's so weird to actually imagine a fully healthy Yankees roster, you know, as fully healthy as it can be for this year, because you know, when you have these plug-in guys, they seem to stick around for a while. But now with Gio coming back, with Glaber coming back, I think Velasquez is a, an awesome story, obviously, from the Bronx. You know, living in his, his childhood bedroom right now. Hits his first career home run at Yankee Stadium. He's been really solid. He's a good defender at short as well. But, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that couldn't even cut it with the Orioles last year, which, which really says a lot. And he has changed his, his approach a lot. He, he requested to go to the Yankees so that he could kind of uh, mess around with his swing and learn some new things and it's definitely proven great season in AAA as well uh, I've, I've gotten to, to see him quite a bit and, and he really did add a lot of power uh, to to a bat that really didn't have much before but I mean this is Glaber Torres' spot still I mean he still I think has a higher ceiling but I think I, I mean I think Glaber's leash is probably a lot shorter than it has been in the past but he's been solid since the all-star break before the injury stealing bases playing a little bit better defensively um, and I think Wade stays because he just play, he plays every position and he's a great speed threat off the off the bench as well. So Velasquez probably the odd man out, but still a really cool story. And Luke, I was just going to ask you that because uh, our good friend Dylan McGlynn chimed in in the comment section, Velasquez or Wade. And I, I know Velasquez is such a great story, Luke, but I don't know how sustainable the offense is necessarily this year or going into the next couple of years, right? This seems like a guy that is just – Maybe a flash plan. Obviously, he's changed his his approach a little bit, but it does kind of worry me that he couldn't figure out anything, you know, before he turned 27. And it's a great story. It's awesome. But it, it's kind of funny seeing people treat him like this young kid when he's older than a decent bit of the guys on the roster. Regardless of that, I, I imagine he stays up here when 
the team extends the, the roster a little bit, right? You wonder with Britain going down now, maybe that doesn't have such a big issue. You kind of wonder if they go pitcher heavy, although do you even have someone to kind of fill in those extra spots or are they just going to sit on the bench if they're the pitchers you're bringing up? Yeah, I think like guys like Steven Ridings that have come up and, and been solid in the bullpen would probably get a look because you look at Velazquez, I mean, the Yankees have an overload of infielders right now. I mean, when when Arcella comes back, when Glaber comes back, I mean, Odor is going to be a bench guy. Wade's going to be a bench guy that can also play the outfield. Velazquez just doesn't really have the versatility. The Yankees also really like Jonathan Davis to play center field. He doesn't really have a bat, but just to fill in center field every couple of days. So I think Velazquez is the odd man out. But when the roster expands, I mean, it's important to have those guys. And I think it also gives the, the opportunity to let Gleyber Torres really heal his thumb before he comes back. I mean, there's no reason to rush him back when you have a, an okay guy filling in for him. And Velasquez has been really hot lately, but he's still hitting, I think, 243 for the Yankees this year. So it's not like he's blowing it up. Um, so I don't know if he's the next Gio Rochelle for the Yankees, but he definitely is a good story. And I think it is good to have a little bit of pressure on Gleyber Torres because it feels like his first few years he was, he was kind of the guy that was never going to be touched. But then, you know, with the early struggles this year, there was a lot of talks about, you know, are the Yankees going to sign someone this offseason? Are they going to trade for Trevor Story? And I think Glaber's kind of answered those critics before getting injured in the second half. So I think it is important to have, you know, at least someone that can pose some kind of threat to Glaber's job security. Certainly. And Luke, we'll have to move on to the Jets here after you just ruined Yankees talk with yelling at me about, about the Mets. But I didn't ruin it. You ruined it by talking about the Mets having a chance. That was ridiculous. I've never, I was I embarrassed to be on the show at that I would point. say that you want them to root against the Braves in every game they can to, to hopefully eventually get a chance, but I digress. Just, just turn the TV off, Mets fans. Next year, maybe. Uh, the New York Jets, Luke, they've got some real problems here, right? Carl Lawson is out for the season with an Achilles tear. Uh, Jared Davis, their linebacker, is going to miss two months with an ankle injury. And now they're bringing in an offense, or rather a defense, that's two biggest offseason acquisitions are out for extended time, right? And Lawson, who might never be the same player in his career again after, you know, tearing Achilles, who was incredible in training camp. And now Jared Davis, who you replace with a rookie who has never played linebacker before. You know, Jamie and Sherwood, a guy that they're really high on, was a safety at Auburn. So, so it is scary for this team. And, and Luke, I've got to be honest. I was all in on the Jets making the playoffs, as you know, <laughs> last week. I was ready for it. I was excited. We'll never know if this team was going to make the playoffs. We'll never know oh, if they were good enough. Goodness. Because you have these two critical injuries to two of your best players, and, and now you'll never know. So what are we supposed to do, Luke? Well, here's the thing, Matt. Great teams have good depth. And, and that, that's the issue with the Jets right now is they just don't have that depth. And that was my concern even – before the injuries was the defense because, you know, we talked about Rob Sala is definitely going to be a step up than, than Greg Williams. And sorry, there's a fly in for me, but uh, I feel like I'm living in your house. Oh, it's right terrible. Now. I still have but, it. Uh, yeah, either way, I was a little bit concerned about this Jets defense. And now they just don't have the positional depth that a lot of teams have. And I think that's the thing because injuries are going to happen and you don't want them to happen. I mean, it seems like the Jets just have the worst luck. And I know it's like an LOL Jets, LOL, you know, but it really feels like that because, you know, C.J. Mosley a few years ago, now it's Lawson and Gerard Davis. And I, I still think the Jets' pass rush will be solid. I mean, they have a, a lot of really good guys on that line, really anchored by Carl Lawson. But Quinton Williams is a good threat as well. So I think they can still get to the quarterback. But in terms of the linebackers and the secondary, I think that's where it gets a little bit dicey. So that, that was my concern for the Jets, and I think that's going to be the theme this year. Um, I still think they're going to be a fun team to watch. I still think they're going to steal some games that maybe they weren't going to win, but I also do still think they're a team that's going to lose a couple games maybe that they should win because the defense isn't great. And the offense, I mean, we'll, we'll get into that later as well. Um, but it's just a team, Matt, that to me just doesn't have a lot of great depth. And I don't think that's anyone's fault. I just think it's a product of still being in the middle of a rebuild and not really having the luxury of you know, maybe signing some good veterans to to higher contracts, although they did have the money, but maybe just the guys weren't available. Right, and, you know, Taco Charlton was just cut from Kansas City. He's a, a serviceable defensive end, right? Uh, Chandler Jones, who's 31, wants a trade out of Arizona in the last year of his contract. Syracuse legend. To, to me, it feels, Luke, like it's almost not worth spending big assets on this year's team because you know you're not, 
making a run at the Super Bowl. And it's a, it's a catch-22 because you want to surround Zach Wilson with the best chances to improve and get better. But a bad, uh, a bad defense doesn't really impact your quarterback as much as, you know, an offensive line or wide receiver, you know, wide yeah. receivers. And you've done enough on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe you sit this one out on the defensive side of the ball, use those picks to get better for next year. Or, you know what, if you want to find, you know, Yannick Ngakwe, for example, who was available, I think, last offseason or two offseasons ago, that'd be a guy I'd give a first-round pick for because you have that controllability. But for a guy like Chandler Jones, who's 31 and, and obviously on the backside of his career, it's not worth trading a first-round pick for him when you can find someone that's hopefully at that same level that's just 21 or 22 instead of 31. Yeah, I think the important thing, like you said, is – but I, I do think with the cap space they have, like if they go out and sign a, a Taco Charlton or, or someone like that, I think that's fine. I think that's acceptable because you still want to improve your team. You still want to have a fighting chance. And if it was a guy in the offensive line, that's, I think, where you have to go make a move. But I think their offensive line is going to be tested as well because, I mean, you have Vera Tucker is a little bit banged up uh, with that pack injury. Makai Becton hasn't been Makai Becton in training camp. Those are, the I think, the more worrisome ones for Zach Wilson's development. Like you said, the defense can give up 52 points a game and get smashed all around the field, and it won't matter for Zach Wilson's development. But if his two best offensive linemen aren't able to go or aren't able to, to play to their full potential, that, I think, is the bigger issue. For sure. And I think what concerns me about Makai Becton, Luke, is that you know the offensive coordinator, Michael Fuller, said, hey, look, he's going through some things right now. He's not playing his best. The way... Rich Samini, the ESPN reporter for the Jets, was so dismissive with this scenario. Really intrigues me because he basically said, look, he's not out of shape. He's not overweight. He's just rusty. He didn't uh, play in the spring with the OTAs, and he's just learning the new system. And and to me, that's so interesting because how can you so matter-of-factly say, hey, look, it's just the system for him, and it's not anything you know, more serious because he hasn't been good all preseason long, and it's been – what, over a month now since they've been practicing? Yeah, and I'm not trying to downplay this because I know offensive linemen do, like, they have to know a lot, and there are a lot of different blocking schemes, but I can't imagine learning an offensive line system would take that much longer than, than anything else, but uh, it is, you know, to me, as long as he's not overweight and it seems like he's in game shape, I guess that's a good thing, but it, it's all this bad, and then the, the good news for the Jets is the good part is that Zach Wilson's been really good in preseason, and I think there are, you know, things you can take and things you can give when it comes to preseason. Like the the reads that he's making, the throws he's making, you can take those because he's looking around the defense. He's looking to his second and third reads. Uh, one of those passes to to uh, Croft was really nice, where he kind of looked off a couple of guys, kind of threaded the needle for the touchdown. Like he looks really poised, looks very comfortable, and I think that's important for the Jets because they have a lot of negative going on right now. But one positive has been that I think Zach Wilson is going to be a solid quarterback, and I don't put all the all the, the money into the table on preseason, but I, I was confident in him before, and, and just seeing him play well, I think, is, is another confidence boost. And there's a couple of things that, for me at least, Luke, Sam Darnold never really showed the Jets and, and their fans, and one of those things seemed to be those, those reads, those progressions. Uh-oh. What? Going at Sam Darnold already. Well, it, You're already in love with the new No, man. it seemed like he couldn't get those reads out fast enough. He certainly couldn't throw the ball as fast as Zach Wilson does. And it seemed like he couldn't use his eyes to move the defender, right? You always hear people talk about how great Tom Brady is, how great Peyton Manning was at moving the receiver with your eye or the defender with your eyes and looking off the receiver you eventually wanted to throw it to. There was a play that, that Dan Orlovsky broke down on Twitter that was doing just that. He was staring at the center of the field, keeping, I think it was, it was number 25 on the Packers, in the middle of the field until eventually he threw it to his left. And the safety didn't have time to get back over there. And we've never seen Sam Darnold do that. And that's part of the makings of such a great quarterback. And to see Zach Wilson do it was so exciting. You know, he's always been a a big ball thrower, but for him to throw for over 10 yards of completion, whereas we saw, you know, Sam Darnold, and this was really more scheme than Sam Darnold, throwing eight yards per completion, eight yards per catch each time. Like, I want to see the long ball because at the end of the day, you need your quarterback to be able to throw the deep ball once in a while to, to take the top off the defense, to to help establish the run game, things like that. And and Zach Wilson, he showed a lot of good things. Obviously, it could translate and he could and all these intercept all these passes could be interceptions against a top tier defense. 
But right now, against the competition that he's faced, he's looked very, very good, and that's something that you can't take away from him. You can. I think one thing is going to be this year, no matter what, is exciting. I mean, he's going to make his mistakes. He's also going to make those plays where, like, all right, you know, I, I can see it. And I, I always said that with Sam Darnold. I said it for the last, you know, three years with Sam Darnold, which was uh, I, I just don't see the, the it factor. And I think we're going to see a lot of it factor from Zach Wilson this year, those special types of plays. Obviously, Darnold had a couple that you could that you can circle back on. But, and again, I'm not trying to bash Darnold. I don't think either of us are. Because with those reads also, I mean, it's tough to get to your second, third read to stare down defenders when you snap the ball and there's already three guys in your face. I mean, that was the reality of, of Sam Darnold's offense. And like you said, very conservative play calling, wasn't really allowed to take the top off the defense. So it's a lot easier to scheme against a guy that you know isn't going to throw the ball 20, 20 yards down the field. So pretty exciting for what we've seen so far from Zach Wilson. I think LaFleur is also uh, doing a really good job scheming for him and, and making a system that's tailored to him, which Sam Darnold never had. When when you were watching Josh Allen's rookie year, because I feel like they're two very similar players in the sense that they like the long ball. They're coming from, you know, lesser football schools to some extent. They're not coming from, you know, power five schools. What did you kind of see from his rookie year, Luke, being a, a big Bills guy? Well, I think a lot of it is uh, escapability in the pocket, which is such a big thing in the NFL. And I think that that's the, the, the part where you're going to have to toe the line. Because for Josh Allen's rookie year, he had a ton of plays where, like, how did he get out of that? How did he make that throw? But then he had a few plays where it's like, why is he not sliding? Why is he not throwing the ball away? And I think we're going to see that from Zach Wilson as well. But you could see the arm talent from Allen. He wasn't afraid to let it rip. Uh, the interceptions for, for Allen really were never there either. I mean, he could be inaccurate, but not to the point of interceptions. And I think that's important. I mean, you can throw in completions, but as long as you're snapping the ball to, to your team the next play, I think that's important. So I think that's kind of what Zach Wilson brings to the table as well, is that escapability in the pocket. And we'll see if maybe in year one he's a little bit smarter than Josh Allen, who is just a guy that refuses to go down at any point when, you know, sometimes maybe he should. Yeah, uh, Luke, we'll wrap things up. Uh, let's go to Odd Man Rush. You've got a very long, very good Odd Man Rush for us. That it seems it's a little sad. I think the couple stories that I see yeah, off the is. top. So let's get to Odd Man Rush and this last story Luke, that you've got is very significant to us. It is, yeah. That that one I'm excited for. So I might have to, uh, I might have to cut off a couple stories. But I, I'd rather be oversaturated than under overprepared. Yes. Um, but. Uh, quick update before we dive in. Two-run double from Giancarlo Stan. Yankees lead 3-1. to one, So, three RBIs for Stan. Playing in the field. I don't know. Maybe it's a, a mental He's thing. been hitting. Going to today, he's hitting like 301 while playing the outfield. So, yeah, a 20-game sample. Something's guy. there. Yeah, something's there. I mean, could you imagine how difficult uh, it is, Luke, to just... Yeah, to, I can't for, No, for, for DHing, you go up. No, I know. You saying. go back down. Yeah. You wait an hour. At some point, right? Every other inning, you're you're taking an at bat if you're lucky, and you got to just sit there, and, and you're not really warmed up. You're not engaged. It's got to be very difficult to to be a good DH in this in the MLB. Oh yeah, I mean you're you're cold most of the time. You're asked to be hot because you're asked to be you know one of the best hitters on the team, and it is tough. So maybe Stanton and, and the Yankees have found something here uh, with him, kind of going back and forth. But as you mentioned, a little bit of a sad start to Odd Man Rush. Uh, NHL veteran Jimmy Hayes uh, passed away earlier today at the age of 31 at his home in Massachusetts. The cause of death at this time is unknown. Uh, leaves behind a wife uh, and two kids. There's actually pictures of him. That That's always just so eerie to me when you see pictures just days before someone passes. Um, celebrating the birthday of one of his sons over the weekend. Played for the Bruins, the Blackhawks, the Panthers, the Devils. Last played in tw uh, 2019 in the AHL with the Penguins. Also won a national championship at Boston College. So, 31 years old, Matt, and, and a real tragedy. And, and from everything I've read, and he had a real connection with uh, like Barstool Sports uh, and a lot of old players. And everyone that came into contact with him said he, he really lit up the room. Uh, just such a, a great guy with a great sense of humor. So just really a tragedy and, and gone far too soon. Yeah, and there was one uh, tweet that I had read, and it was basically Jimmy Hayes lived the, the Bostonian's dream, right? There, I forgot what the tweet was, but there's X many hockey players from Dartmouth, uh, uh, you know, in Boston or whatever town he's from off the top of my head, I can't remember it. You know, X players have ever played hockey at the college level. Three players from this town have played in the NHL. You know, Jimmy and his brother Kevin, two of them, and only one of them from this from this area in Boston has ever played for the Bruins, and that was Jimmy Hayes. 
So it, there was almost an aura of, of a folklore hero for Jimmy Hayes and for him to, to pass away so suddenly was, was so disappointing. You know, the, the stories you hear about Hayes being such a great teammate, even when he wasn't playing every day, right? And in, in 2018 with the Devils, he was a, a scratch more often than not. For him to smile and be happy and be a good locker room guy despite all these things, it I don't want to say it makes it sadder that he's passed, but it, it just goes to show how many people's lives he's touched and how special he was to so many people. Yeah, I mean, immediately after, I saw so many, so many tweets, so many posts, and just leaving behind such a young family and a, and a, and a wife, it always, always hits even harder, obviously, when you're just 31 years old. So obviously, our thoughts are with the Hayes family. And we move to kind of another heavier story. I'm sorry to, to get everyone down in the dumps, but these are big, you know, landscape stories, especially this one. And that's uh, Eric Kay, who uh, was... Uh, arrested for supplying the drugs to Tyler Skaggs that eventually left uh, led to his death from a fentanyl overdose uh, a few years ago, uh, is now being accused of dealing these uh, opioids to multiple Angels players. Uh, federal pro- prosecutors intend to prove coal supply drugs to at least six Angels players, one of which, of course, was Tyler Skaggs, who died uh, two years ago. The filing didn't name the other five Angels players, but uh, it seemed like Eric Kay was, I mean, essentially he was dealing drugs to the Angels. Uh, and it really makes you think just about the landscape of sports because, look, these guys go through injuries. They go through hardships. Um, unfortunately, sometimes that leads to turning to things like opioids or other drugs. And, I mean, if he's supplying to six guys on the team, I mean, it really makes you wonder just how big this could be across sports with so many athletes, so many things going on. Uh, just It kind of adds to the, the tragedy that was Tyler Skaggs' death. It's it's really sad, and it's it's disappointing because you obviously use you know oxy for for pain and stuff like that. So it's so easy to be like, oh, you know, I'm banged up, I'm this and that. But for you know for Eric K to to continuously supply these drugs, it's it's really a sad story, Luke. It, it's really tough to kind of wrap your head around and to add another five players to the mix. It's it's serious, right? Yeah, I mean, any one of those five guys could have gotten you know, the, the bad batch, if you will. So that's also scary. Also kind of interesting. Skaggs, family is represented by Rusty Harden, who's also representing Sean Watson in this case. So I don't know. It's just so weird to see like the same prosecutor's name and like the two biggest like prosecutions going on in sports right now. Yeah, it, it is. And he had another, but I guess big, uh, a bigger yeah. case before Watson as well. I don't remember which one it was, but it was, it was in a similar, um, it was a similar, I guess, uh, case as what Watson was doing was it like a was it Robert Kraft or no? That's just the one. It might have been mind. right. I mean, you said similar case. I mean, that's I mean, about as similar, I think, as it gets. But was it? Yeah, uh, clearly he's like a big lawyer. I mean, if he's uh, representing basically all the know. major sports moments. But I think I see a story here. It's taking a while to load. Um. You know, Luke, just, just continue. I'll figure it out in a second. <laughs> All right, no worries. We'll we'll move ahead. We'll we'll get to some better stories, some more some more feel good stories, I should say. Mitch Trubisky going off as the Bills defeat the Bears forty one to fifteen. Mitch finished twenty of twenty eight, two hundred twenty one yards and a touchdown, including four start game and up tempo offense. Mitch looked very comfortable in it. And I, I got to say, man, I think Mitch is going to parlay this really nicely in the offseason to another starting job because it, it's the perfect, you know, oh, if he's just in the right system, he can do it. You know, he's a high draft pick. The potential's there. And I think that teams could look at just this tape and be like, all right, you know what? Let's, let's take a chance on Mitch. But what have you what have you seen from him? Obviously, he's doing this, but was it against the number ones, right? Like, we go back and say, why can't we – why are we taking something away from Trubisky's game when we were – when we can't take away things from – you know, Zach Wilson's game. You know, I'm not saying that you're doing that, yeah. but it, it is interesting. No, I, and I think, I don't know if he gets another starting job. I mean, have we seen a player like him get a second shot when he was as ridiculed as he was? I'm trying to think of high draft picks. I guess D- Dwayne Haskins shot. never really had a shot, you could argue. Right? I mean, Trubisky yeah, same was like Josh Rosen in a really solid spot in terms of a great defense, sufficient weapons, maybe the – the the coaching staff wasn't quite there for him 
but like you said, Rose never really got a fair shake. I would almost, you know, I think Rosen, but, to some extent, is more deserving than Trubisky is of a second shot because Rosen never really had a, a first shot. But Trubisky wasn't terrible. That That's the thing. He's proven he can win in the NFL. I mean, he made the playoffs two years. Uh, obviously, he's not, I don't think he's anything special, but I, I think, you know, a team like the Eagles next year or something like that could take a chance. I mean, the Texans, like, there's a lot of teams where I think maybe could give him a chance. I think he'll, I think he'll find his way into a starting job or at least competing for a starting job by next year. I, I really think. I hope he does. And I think a lot of it is just being comfortable. And I remember I was reading because a lot of people said when he was in Chicago, like, why don't we run a more up-tempo, make him make less decisions, less pre-snap reads and stuff like that. And that was kind of the method they had. And again, preseason. But I think the difference with Mitch is that he's done it in the regular season before. So, you know, maybe it's not always great, but you it, there is track record of him playing well in the NFL. Fair enough. Yeah, it'll At be exciting. Points. At points. Uh, let's stay with football uh, quickly before we go to baseball. Uh, there's a lot of football, actually. Football heavy odd man rush at that, at that time of year. Uh, Justin Fields uh, says it's disrespectful to chant his name while Andy Dalton is playing. Uh, during the Bears-Bills game aforementioned, uh, he said, uh, you know, Dalton was in the game, but the fans were chanting for Fields. He said, I noticed it. Of course, the fans are awesome, but they also have to realize Andy is a human being, too. Andy is out there on the field right now, so I think it's kind of disrespectful to him them cheering my name like that they have to trust in the coach to make sure he's making the right decisions and cheer andy on this feels like a, a saga that's gonna just carry on for probably until justin fields is named the starter yeah and, and fields has said some really interesting things luke i don't know if you saw from a couple weeks ago he said you know the game feels slower than i expected and now he's coming out and saying this and they got rocked <laughs> yeah but that didn't take away from the speed of the game i don't think yeah but- no, it was just funny it was, it, that was a big hit if you, if you hadn't seen it. But for Fields to say this, I like it. I like to try to not feed the potential, you know, issues in the locker room or any kind of issues in the organization. But, Luke, you, you, you kind of said it before. How is Dalton the starter here? I mean, Fields has looked really, really good. And I understand maybe you want to give him some time. I mean, the thing that's tough is Chicago's a good enough team to, to make a run in the postseason. Right, they've got a very solid defense. They've got some nice pieces. This isn't like the the Dolphins almost from last year, where you know they they weren't necessarily supposed to be that good. You don't have time to carry along and slowly bring Fields along. If he's the guy that gives you the best chance to win, you should you should play him because you want to try to win, especially on a rookie's contract. It's 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 odd because I say I say that, and then I go out and say you know the Chiefs gave Patrick Mahomes a year to sit. And they had a, a quality starting quarterback. You know, I would say Andy Dalton is not as good as Alex Smith was, but he's still an average quarterback, right? He's not a bad quarterback. I wouldn't say it's his time or anything, but to, to sit fields for a couple of games to get him up to speed maybe isn't the worst thing to do in the world. Yeah, this is my one argument against that is like, no matter when fields comes in, and I think it's going to be this year, no matter what, like, I don't think he's going to sit out the whole year. I just don't see it happening. And, you know, He's going to make his mistakes no matter when he comes in. If he's going to make mistakes, he can come in next year. He's still going to make those mistakes. You know, it's it's different when you're in a regular season game. And, you know, obviously Mahomes getting the year off ended up being beneficial. But with Alex Smith, the Chiefs' ceiling was only so high. Like, they were not going to win a Super Bowl with Alex Smith. And I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes would have won a Super Bowl as, as a rookie, but it would have been another year to kind of develop. And looking back on it, it works out great for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But – for Justin Fields and this and this Bears team, Andy Dalton's not winning the Bears the Super Bowl. He's not winning them a division. He's not winning them any of that. And I think Justin Fields, A, gives them a, a better chance. And B, I mean, let him get in there from week one. Let him be the starter. Let him kind of – don't throw him into a situation where you're 0-3 and you're still thinking you can make the playoffs with a run. Because that's an even worse situation, I think, than just giving him a clean slate and letting him make those mistakes, knowing that you're not going to maybe win a Super Bowl this year either way. That's fair. Yeah, I just – maybe he's not – I'd say maybe he's not NFL ready, but he was at some point the second best or even, you know, there's that one week he was the best, uh, you know, quarterback prospect in this draft, right? After he, after the the semifinals, college football playoff semifinals game. So it's so odd to see them kind of taking a slower approach with him, whereas Zach Wilson, who hasn't even faced the speed of, you know, the Big Ten is being thrown in right away and is just kind of saying, you know, hope for the best. Yeah, I was I was literally thinking about that today at work. I was like, because uh, that's all I had time to do is think about things. Uh, but uh, I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, if the 
you know, a few weeks before the draft, people were saying maybe that the Jaguars would take Justin Fields first overall. And the fact that he fell all the way down for the Bears to, to trade up and get, I mean, I think his talent is there to be the, the second or third best quarterback in this draft class. Because, I mean, obviously we like what we've seen from Zach Wilson. I still think that was a great pick by the Jets. But, you know, Trey Lance seems like he might take a little time to be ready. But Justin Fields seems like he's pretty ready to go with the, the speed of the game and things like that. So I, I think it's only a matter of time. But, again, the, the Bears do play the Rams week one. So maybe that's the thought is you don't want Aaron Donald to kill Justin Fields week one. But if the Bears get blown out, I, I mean, I can see Fields, you know, ready to go week two. And, again, this is also a Bears coaching staff that does not have many chances left. I mean, this is their, this is their guy. That they have to do something with because it seems like every year Matt Nagy's on the hot seat and every year he makes the playoffs lose in the first round and kind of escapes that criticism but there's gonna be a lot of heat on them this year what am I gonna say I don't know nothing because I just made so many great I had points something really interesting to say I forgot what it was wow must not have been no that interesting, it really man. wasn't um Luke I know you skipped over this story but Miguel Cabrera I got a question for you oh yeah how do you win the triple crown if he if he's not a horse <laughs> that's right Miguel Cabrera 500 career home run Sunday against the Blue Jays uh I just wanted to shout him out because I mean what a career I mean between him and Albert Pujols I mean those are two of the most dominant hitters ever and, and it's tough because both of them really really hit a wall obviously as they got into their late 30s but I mean great for him to hit number 500 but you're right man not a horse not sure how he won the triple crown yeah I agree is it a, an, that's all I had to a, say a tip on that. of the cap that's all I'd say on that no that's great no, it's good input. Uh, a tip to uh, Mike Francesa. What was that? Can I run through a couple more yeah, stories? Yeah, go for it. Okay, I'll just do two quick. Well, I'll do one, and then we'll get the real, the real best story. But Cam Newton was sidelined uh, for five days due to a, quote, COVID testing misunderstanding. So he had left New England for a doctor's appointment, which was approved by the Patriots. He was tested every day, came back negative. But in order to leave the region and come back as an unvaccinated player, as Newton is, he has to do go through five days of testing by the NFL. So he's going to miss five days of practice when right in the height of this quarterback battle with Mac Jones. Bill Belichick still says he's the, the QB1, but, I mean, you want to practice every single day you can. And it's, again, if he was vaccinated, he'd be practicing right now. I mean, say what you want about it, but from a competitive standpoint, uh, it doesn't really work out for, for Cam Newton this week. Yeah, it doesn't. And it's unfortunate because you don't really know how many chances he has left in this game, right? If if Mac Jones takes over for him, and, and this is part of the reason why, you wonder if Cam Newton gets a second look. And I, and I think he will, right? I think he's played really solid this preseason, and he was okay before he got COVID last year. But again, that's for, the thing for, for so many players. Like he got Luke, it so bad last year. I, I'm just surprised. For so many players to, to get COVID, right? Him, Lamar Jackson, and then not get the vaccine is, is surprising because those two guys were hit really hard. By the by, COVID. So I'm kind of surprised that those two specifically never thought to get the vaccine. Yeah, Cowboys having an outbreak too, but they're they're all vaccinated, so they're not having symptoms, which means they can usually work their way a little bit back a little bit faster than than guys that that haven't. So um, that's that's the competitive. That's the difference, and I, it's it's crazy too. I was going to say that about the Jets is here as well because you could have a guy miss you know two weeks if they test positive. So. I mean, that's just another kind of layer to it. Last story, though, Matt. This was from the New York Post, but there was a study done. I think it was out of, like, the University of Michigan Health or something like that. Um, it came out that eating one hot dog takes 35 minutes off of your life, according to the study. Um, so, newsflash, processed meat, not great for you. But I don't know how Joy Chestnut is still alive right now. Yeah. I mean... Could you imagine if he never ate a hot dog? He might live to 300 years old. I know. I know. Here's the thing, though, Matt. The counter is the PBJ. Because according to the study, uh, every PBJ you eat increases 33 minutes of your life. So I, I don't know. I never really know what to think about these things because it's like, how would they prove that? I think there's a lot of different medical uh, conditions underlying that could affect things like this. But I uh, always find it interesting when the, the internet kind of collect is enamored by an article like this. I don't know if I believe this story, Luke. Wow. I don't know who – what researchers did this. Yeah, it's like at the bottom of the article. It's like, oh, this was like the University of Michigan or something. I don't know. It's like they didn't really cite it off the bat though. So you're right. I, I think there's reason to, to be a little skeptical. It was uh, University of Michigan School of Public Health. 
they published the, the findings based on a terror risk components and harmful health of certain foods. I don't know how you can give me the exact minutes, Luke, in this. Oh, good news for you, Luke. When you lose this yes. bet, when, when I feed you delicious salmon, you will gain 15 minutes of life. Wow. When I'm on my deathbed, in immense pain, I'll just be like, because I could have died 15 minutes ago. See, but, but <laughs> who's to say that your 15 minutes would be lived during the deathbed process? What if it was... What if it was during a glorious Bills Super Bowl run? You're watching the Super Bowl. Ooh. The Bills are in it. And I just saved you 15 minutes. I saved you the last minute or two of the quarter. Wow. You're right. Or I could be on that same deathbed and, like, my kids are going to see me for one final time. So, I mean, I, right. I actually, yeah. So, I got to start eating. I got to be honest, Luke. Anytime I can extend my life, I'll, I'll do it. So, I guess I got to be eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches left and right from, from here on out. And I'll be pounding hot dogs like I'm Joey Chestnut. Luke, is there something you want to tell us? <laughs> no. Uh, Matt, I gift you the, the last Thank you. And, and, and great clock integrity. And I know we, we internally say, you know, 15-minute segments, but there's just not much juice left to squeeze out of this, this giant's orange. You know, we haven't really squeezed any of the juice out of it because there's there's not much There's here. no juice there. Joe Judge is giving us no juice. That's right. Um, he's he's stuck. Starving. That's right. The, the question, Luke, going into it was, are you worried that Daniel Jones hasn't played yet in the preseason, but he will play at least a half of week three? So maybe you're not worried as much. I, I think it's interesting who hasn't played, Luke, because you go to the likes of, you know, Joe Burrow and Dak are both injured, right? So they haven't played yet due to their injuries. But then beyond those guys, the guys that haven't played yet are all certified studs, right? Josh Allen. Oh, this is fake news. Aaron Rodgers. Matt Ryan's like 90 years old. He doesn't need to play. Lamar Jackson, Jared Goff is – he's not a stud. But Jared he, Goff did play, though. Did he? I'd like to say that. Okay. I, I, yeah, he played against the Bills. He played only for one? two drives, though. Okay. I, I only looked, yeah, at, I looked at week two, so my apologies. Uh, Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, nothing crazy. I don't believe has played either. Tom Brady hasn't played. And then Russell Wilson. Tom Brady has played. Where are you getting these Oh, you numbers? know what I did? You know what I did, Luke? <laughs> I looked at the week two starters, and I just figured they'd be the same. It's that's fair. So, it's, Tom Brady was like one of two for eight yeah. yards, so it's fair. So you it's know, fair. but he doesn't need to play. My point is, or or I'm sorry, even, I'm not trying to attack you. No, I, I appreciate sure the, are... the honesty. And all of this says is Daniel Jones is being treated like Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, and Lamar Jackson, and even Russell Wilson when he's clearly not those guys. So, do you even care he hasn't played yet, or are we making a big deal of nothing? Here's why I do care, and normally I wouldn't, because I think from everything we've heard, especially this year, scrimmages are the the thing. You know, that's the thing that people are evaluating on. That's when guys are going hard. That's when you see, you know, first first team offense against first team defense. The one thing that does worry me though is I don't know if a scrimmage is at game speed. I don't know if it has the same kind of environment when you're playing in front of a crowd, when you're getting that real game experience, even though it is preseason. All of that is to say the Giants' first two weeks, I think, are more important than almost any other team in the NFL. And, and obviously that might be a little bit skewed because we cover the Giants. But if you have Daniel Jones go in and have a slow start against Denver and the Giants lose that game or they lose against Washington, that really, I think, derails their season. Because after that, it's only going to get harder. So my one thing is, sure, Daniel Jones, maybe you don't play preseason, but he, he better be at game speed when week one comes because those two games are, are so important. They're going to be a quick turnaround. Maybe that's part of it is knowing that week one is on Sunday and week two is on Thursday. You don't want Daniel Jones to be overworked. But that is my one concern is just being like, okay, let's let's make sure he's ready to go because these first two games are, are very important for the Giants. And also, Luke, during this whole process of scrimmages, quarterbacks have the, the red jersey on, right? They're not getting yeah. – they're not allowed to get hit. In preseason games, you can get hit. What's been his biggest issue is the fumbles. You're not fumbling the ball when when someone can't even touch you, and you know they can't touch you, right? If I'm running full speed at you, yeah. you know I can't hit you in these scrimmages. And, and for him to not get playing time, it, it is scary, especially when right off the bat, these two weeks, Luke, a team that has playoff aspirations, that's got a GM that should be on the hot seat, I don't think you're, you want to see your star quarterback 
be rusty heading into those games. And it kind of leads us to what do you expect out of this team, right? You're, you're, you're hopeful that your offensive line has improved. I'm not sure how it can get much worse, Luke. You're adding in better weapons offensively, and you have a much better defense that was already really good last year. So are you – do you sit here and say this team needs to win the division given the holes of the other teams around them, right? Dallas has a terrible defense. Washington's got a big question mark at the quarterback position, and the Eagles just plain stink. Yeah, I think it has to be the, the goal, right? And I don't know if it's like division or bust because I think there are, there is always circumstances that go into these things. Like last year with the Giants, it was like, okay, yeah, they should compete for the division now, but that doesn't mean they're a good football team. You know, this year, uh, like you said, I, I think it's a very winnable division. And, and that is, is true. I mean, the Giants do need to at least compete for the division. And I think you bring up a really good point that, that I didn't even mention about the red jerseys and not being able to touch the quarterback and, I mean, Daniel Jones is a guy that's also most efficient when he's using and most effective when he's using his legs. And, you know, there, there's the talk about designing these runs and, and, and kind of tailoring the offense for, for Jones in that manner. But you're not running designed QB runs in a, in a scrimmage with a red jersey. You're just not. You're not taking hits. You're not making those similar reads. Like you said, we're not finding out about the fumbles and the turnovers. So there definitely is, you know, there are some pros to scrimmages, but there also, also are some cons. And I think that's one of them. And you know, for a Giants team this year that should be, you know, not – I don't think they're as good as Washington defensively, but they're, they're right on that level, you know, top 10 defense uh, in the NFL last year, uh, playing in this division, but a tougher schedule this year. I mean, there's no reason to say they can't uh, be in that contender window. window. Right. Window. <laughs> words are hard, Luke, right? Um, but They are, yeah, especially when you speak a lot of them in a row. I think when you look at this team, and sure, you could say they need to win the division – I could see the Cowboys going out and being in 11 and 17, or I guess what is it, 11 and 6? 11 and 16. Yeah, it, it depends about that. Right? I mean, sure. I mean, I think that injury is a little bit more serious than they're, than they're letting on. Right. But you could see them being dominant. So if the, if the Giants go 10 and 7, that's a good season for this team. But that might not be good enough to make the playoffs. And I think that's sort of the, the counter argument is maybe it's not you need to make the playoffs if you're the Giants, but. If Daniel Jones proves to be a very good quarterback and this team wins games and is significantly above 500, I think it's a different story than if, you know, for the Jets where it's, okay, we want to see Zach Wilson do good. For Daniel Jones, I think the idea of him doing good and showing us something, it's not there anymore. He's beyond that point. Now it's about actual wins and losses for this team, which is a lot tougher to do when you're coming off a season in which you weren't really that good offensively. I think that's an important point when we talk about, you know, preseason or not. Daniel Jones is the Giants' most important player this year, and he's going to be the guy that we focus on the most because you're right. He's past the the time of, oh, let, let's let Daniel Jones develop. This is – show me what you got, Daniel Jones, or you're out the door. We've got two first-round picks next year. Uh, maybe Chicago turns real messy and we get a really nice pick next year where we can take another quarterback. So it's a big proven year for Daniel Jones and for him not to be playing in the preseason. He's going to get a half, but that third preseason game, I can't imagine that any teams are going to be playing there, especially a, a Bill Belichick-led Patriots team is going to be playing their best players. So, I mean, it's good to get those game reps, but again, just such an important start to the season. And I'm, I'm very excited to, to finally get out the, the win-loss, win-win-loss game uh, within these next couple of weeks because I think that between the Giants and the Jets and obviously the Bills, but the Bills are going to win a lot of games. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> but... For the, the Giants and the Jets, these are some really interesting and exciting seasons for the Jets. And for the Giants, it could be a little bit stressful because they're a team that should be able to win games, should be able to figure out Daniel Jones. But if they can't, it could be a really long season. It certainly could. And, and Luke, one guy that the Giants will have soon is, is Saquon Barkley. He seems to be ramping up, is the report from Jordan Renan. He's not sure if it's 7v7 or 11 on 11 uh, during the joint practice against the Patriots. But having him back is so important for this team. You know, Daniel Jones has been eons better with Saquon Barkley in the lineup, and that's a guy that's just going to take so much pressure off of him, even though he might not be the best in terms of a yards per carry guy, right? He's not always going to get positive yardage. He's still going to be a great check down guy, a great weapon to have, and someone that realistically teams need to prepare for Saquon Barkley, and, and having that alone is a big positive for a guy like Daniel Jones. I think a big year for Saquon as well, just knowing that the Giants running backs were a little bit more productive than he was maybe before he got hurt. And obviously there's a lot of factors that go into that, but I think he wants to prove that he is still, you know, 
uh, a top three running back, top four running back in the NFL. Yeah, he's certainly looking to that. Luke, we need to figure out the win, loss, win, loss, loss, win game because it's gotta it's gotta happen soon. We're just gonna keep teasing it until until it happens. It's a forever tease. I'm thinking maybe the Monday before week one. I don't know what day that is, Luke, oh, yeah. but maybe we do it there, and then Thursday we'll have a, or the next Wednesday we'll have a football exclusive show. Ooh, how about that? Football Wednesday, baby. I'm ready. That will be the first edition of the pick segment. It'll be glorious. I miss the uh, the football Thursday. Yeah, football Thursday just feels right. But, it really does. You know, forget football Friday. It's the football Thursday. That's what it was that's back right. in the heyday. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for tonight. Uh, are we? Do we have a show on Wednesday? We do. We're scheduled to go. There it is. So we'll see you guys Wednesday, same time, same place, here on Twitch and the Wally Owens Spotify stream.